Forest Hill, it is my absolute joy to be able to introduce you to our guest preacher for this morning. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her and her heart, but first and foremost, you must know she is a dear friend. Tara Beth Leach and I and Del, when we traveled to Rwanda together back in the summer of 2019, and that changed a lot of things. We were witnessing what was happening in the church in Rwanda post-genocide in the years after the genocide, and there was something unique that was stitched between our hearts, and she has been a dear sister ever since. She is the former senior pastor of First Church of the Nazarene in Pasadena in Southern California, and she currently serves at Christ Church of Oak Brook in the Chicagoland suburbs. So she is a phenomenal preacher and pastor, but here's what I have to tell you. She loves God's church. She loves the body of Christ. She is passionate about seeing the church at her very best. She wrote a book called Emboldened about empowering women in ministry and leadership, but her most recent book called Radiant is just about that. It's about the witness of the church being credible and beautiful in the world, and I'm so glad that she accepted our invitation to come here this morning. So would you give a warm welcome before she comes up and before we read our text to my dear friend Tara Beth Leach. Now we're going to read our teaching text, and Dylan's going to start us off with our refrain for this morning. The tomb was open for his risen. The tomb was open for Jesus. Jesus is our text this morning comes from John chapter 20. We'll start in verse 19 and go all the way through verse 31. If you have a shed Bible, we are on page 1001. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The tomb was open for his reason. The tomb was open for Jesus. Jesus known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, 
I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Mars Hill. I am overjoyed to be here, and frankly, it feels like a dream to be able to partner in this way with Ashley and Delwyn and the rest of the Mars Hill team. Um, as Ashley said, she has been a dear friend, and I look up to her as a fellow pastor. And so thank you so much for your hospitality, and you have really good coffee. And a special welcome also to those who are on the live stream. I'm also glad to be here with you. And I just had an overwhelming sense that I was standing on holy ground, that as we were singing, the Lord's presence is so palpable and I pray for those of you that are joining us online that you have that same sense that it isn't a building that unites us together, but it's the spirit of the living God in which we see Jesus breathe unto the disciples in this text. And so I'm thrilled to open the word with you this morning. And before we begin, let us pause once more and prepare our hearts in prayer. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we erupt in praise that the tomb was indeed open and that Jesus is alive. Lord, we believe, also help our unbelief. Lord, we believe and we want to see more, we want to know more. So we pray that in these next few moments as we open your holy word, that just as you breathe life unto the disciples, Lord, would you breathe unto us? And would you give us hearts to receive, minds to understand, eyes to see, and ears to hear? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Imagine for a moment, you go down throughout history, the rest of your life, being known for one silly blooper. In fact, you're known for this silly blooper, this one tiny mess up, and everywhere you go, people even have changed your name according to this mess up, and even at your funeral, say, they, they, read, your, they read about your life and your biography, and they even tell that particular story. You know, several years ago when I was preaching at a church in Chicagoland, I had the great privilege of preaching at an Ash Wednesday service, one of my favorite Sundays to preach. And something went wrong. See, I was to get up and do the imposition of the ashes, and then after doing the imposition of the ashes, I was then to walk to the pulpit and preach from there. So as I stood up, my mic pack fell to the ground. Except it, it fell through a way that it was a little, you know, women's clothing is just not the same as men's, and I was wearing a dress, and so it, was, it became difficult. And so I just stood up, and I didn't know what to do, and I just kind of awkwardly walked across the platform with it dragging on the floor, thinking I'm going to deal with this in just a moment. So I went over, did the imposition of ashes, and I had this glass bowl of ash in one hand, and I'm trying to pull up my mic at the same time. And as I bent over, there was an air conditioning vent that blew like a level five hurricane. And this glass bowl of ash tipped over, landed with a crashing sound, and the ash flew up onto my face. And all of the pastors were sitting on the front row like this, loving it. They are laughing, they are just soaking this moment up because they knew that this was a moment that would go down in history. And so I went and I hid behind the organist, I was just wiping off my face as fast as I can. And I tell you what, this is actually a decade ago. And to this day, every single Ash Wednesday, they text me, don't drop the ashes. My husband said that he was in the back of the sanctuary that day behind a, hundreds of people, and he said there was just a black plume of ash that went into the air. And every time I step foot back into the church, do you know what the first thing is they bring up? Have you dropped any ashes lately? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's my reputation there. Now, imagine, think of one embarrassing moment or blooper or something maybe that you're not proud of. And you go down in history being remembered by that. So think about Thomas in this text. We know Thomas, but we probably know him better by doubting Thomas. Poor Thomas, he doubts one time and we've now given him a new name. And interestingly, this name is not actually even in the scripture. We have imposed that name. And I grew up as a child when I would hear about Thomas. I would think of doubting Thomas. And what is so perhaps unfortunate is that this emphasis on his doubt is we miss out on what is absolutely so central to this story, Jesus. In fact, the revelation of God in Christ. 
And so we just heard the text read by Ashley, but let me just paint the scene for you once again. As Delwyn led us into worship, the tomb has been opened. Jesus is alive, but not all the disciples are sure. Mary and other women discovered it for themselves as we read in the Easter text last week. They went to the tomb. It was empty. And they ran back. And we see women proclaiming the first Easter Sunday message. Jesus is alive. He's not there. He's not dead. He's alive. And you imagine them going to the disciples, and I imagine some of them standing there. (laughs) Really? That's crazy talk. There's no way. And I'm sure that Thomas wasn't the only one that doubted in the moment. And so some time passes, there's chatter about appearances of Jesus, and the disciples are afraid. They lock themselves in a room. And I can imagine them just like all huddled together, circled up, talking. Well, do you think it's true? Are the reports of, of Mary and the women, are, is this real? Is he really alive? And they're locked in the door because they don't want to go through what Jesus went through. The Jewish authorities were after those who were proclaiming the same message that Jesus was proclaiming. And they didn't want to be tried and crucified either. So they're hiding behind these locked doors, absolutely and utterly terrified. And as they're there huddled in fear, Jesus walks into the room through the doorway. And he appears to the disciples. And the very first word that he says, peace be with you. Such affirming words. The disciples, they have experienced trauma, tragedy, loss. And now they are fearing for their own lives. And the very first thing that Jesus says to them is, peace be with you. Incredibly affirming words to those who are locked away in fear. And as Jesus presents himself, we see that he presents himself himself by showing his wounds. And as he does this, as he shows his wounds, again, you'd imagine the disciples, oh, what are we seeing? What's happening here? Why, why do we see his wounds? He's alive. This is so confusing. And so he says it again. Peace be with you. And then he breathes. And as he breathes this breath of God upon them, he says, may you now receive the Holy Spirit. And then he sends them. He says, just as the Father has sent me, you have been given the same authority. Just as the Father has sent me, I want you to feel the weightiness of this, the gravity of this. I have been sent to reveal this revelation of God, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. So Jesus says, I've been sent to reveal the Father. Now you go and do likewise. 
make Jesus known. And not in your own strength, not out of your own ingenuity or creativity, but you will do this in the power of the Spirit. You will be emboldened, you will be empowered, you will be impelled, and you will be propelled by the Spirit of the living God to go forth into all the world and make Jesus known just as Jesus has made the Father known. And then the disciples, I can imagine them hugging and dancing and weeping, overwhelmed, unsure if this was a dream for what they had just seen, and they go to Thomas, 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 Thomas. You would not believe what we have seen. We saw Jesus. The women, they were right. The tomb is open. Jesus is really alive. And Thomas, who we've now dubbed as Doubting Thomas, I can imagine him just stepping back, taking it in. It's not that he wants to be unbelieving. I would imagine he wants to believe. He wants it so desperately to be true, to be real. And in response, he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, these wounds, and unless I can put my finger where his wounds are. I just don't know if I can believe. And so we've called him Doubting Thomas. As if the rest of the disciples didn't doubt. As if the rest of the disciples didn't kind of furrow their brows when the women came running to them. Jesus is alive. He's not dead. And yet we call him Doubting Thomas. Here's the reality. Sure, he doubted. But what he really wants is to see Jesus. He wants to believe. He wants it to be true. He wants to touch those wounds. He wants this report to be real. And there in the middle of his doubts and questions and aches and longings and hopes and fears and anxiety, Jesus appears in the room again. And the first words that come out of his mouth, peace be with you. And then Jesus summons Thomas, Thomas, do not be unbelieving but be believing. When we look at it in this original language, this call that Jesus makes for Thomas is to move from a place of unbelief to move into a place of belief. To look, to see, to know, to accept, to affirm, and to confess. But notice what Jesus does. Well, actually, let's talk about what Jesus doesn't do. He he could have done. Jesus doesn't walk into the room. Thomas, how long have you been with me? How could you? Shame on you. Jesus doesn't shame Thomas, but instead what he does is Jesus moves towards Thomas. 
Jesus gives him himself. The most incredible gift he could give. And as he gives him himself, he summons Thomas. He calls Thomas to move from this place of unbelief to belief, to come and see, to know, and to believe. And out of this, we don't see just any confession. What we must underscore here is not the doubt of Thomas, but is the confession of Thomas. In this moment, as he sees the wounds and Jesus calls him to move to this place from unbelief to belief, I imagine Thomas in this moment, almost like a volcano erupting as he sees Jesus and he cries out, my Lord, my God, my Lord, my God. You see, this isn't just an academic confession. It's not just a scientific confession. It's not just, hmm, yes, I see. Now let me report back to the others. But instead, he makes a profound confession. And what scholars call a high Christological confession. Now that's a big word, Christological. It's another way of saying how we understand who Jesus is. You can have a high Christology or you can have a low Christology. A high Christology would mean that you embrace the full divinity of Jesus. You believe that Jesus is fully human, Jesus is fully God, and you embrace the incarnation. You believe that Jesus is Lord. You believe that Jesus reigns. You believe that Jesus is the King of Kings. Now, a low Christology might be, he's kind of God. Or he's a teacher, he's a really good teacher. And so what Thomas does is he moves from this place of somewhere in between a, a low Christology and a high Christology. And he jumps right to the highest form of Christology when he calls out, my Lord, my God. Now, this is a really important thing that is happening in all of John's gospel. You see, this text that we just read is couched right near the end of John's gospel. And at the very beginning of the gospel, we see this high Christology right away that is unique to all the other gospels. In fact, John, the gospel writer, I'm sure you're familiar with this text, maybe, uh, he begins out and he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then we go on in verse 14 and then it says the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And then we go to verse 18, which is key to the Gospel of John. It says, now no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Now this is a key theological concept or proclamation in the Gospel of John that crescendos to the end. So we see this in the beginning, this promise that, that Jesus is the one who makes God known because Jesus is God. The word is not just with God, but the word is God. And then in John 14, Jesus says something very similar. He says, okay, if you really know me, 
you know my Father as well. Lord, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what the Father is like, right here. You've seen him right here. And so one scholar, Craig Keener, notes then that the gospel, beginning in John chapter 1, makes this incredible crescendo that goes all the way then to Thomas's announcement. At last, they see, they believe this promise that we read in John. They're finally connecting the dots of Jesus' proclamation that if, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then Thomas erupts with this profound proclamation, my Lord. My God, my Lord, my God. And it isn't just the touching that affirms this, but it is the offer that Jesus gives to Thomas. Jesus gives him himself. It's an offer of grace in abundance. It's an offer of love. It's an offer of relationship. It's the gift of seeing, not one of reprimand, not one of shame, but one of love. And so as Thomas makes this confession, as we said, this is not just an academic response. It is a Christological confession, my Lord, my God. And let's add another layer to this. It is also a dangerous and courageous confession. Dangerous and courageous. Again, scholars note that during this day, that Domitian, one of the rulers of the day, that it was a civic command that they would be called our Lord, our God. And to proclaim anyone else as Lord and God was a proclamation that Domitian and later Nero was not. And so if anyone else had heard this proclamation, if anyone, if word got out that there was another Lord and God, surely persecution would be in order. So it's a high Christological confession. It is a courageous and a dangerous confession and it's a vulnerable one. He humbled himself in the sight of Jesus. Up until now, I've not gotten it. Up until now, I wasn't understanding. Up until now, I've doubted. But now, my Lord and my God. And what we have to understand is post this proclamation, moving towards the book of Acts, when Jesus ascends to the throne, then to the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost, is this proclamation that the disciples made, oriented and reoriented their lives. Their entire lives were shaped 
by this deep belief that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is God. Their entire lives were flipped upside down, and we read about this all the way through the book of Acts. They continued to risk their lives over and over again because they knew, they believed that this wasn't just some academic idea, but they knew, they believed that Jesus was Lord, that Jesus was God, and that Jesus the Lord, the God and King was among them through the fellowship of the Trinity and the power of the Holy Spirit. So they went forth to the ends of the earth proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, proclaiming that Jesus is God, living in this new kingdom reality that had been inaugurated because of the faithfulness of King Jesus. And it shaped the way that they went forth and it shaped this kingdom society that all lived under the reign and rule of King Jesus. That is, they lived in such a way that Jesus was Lord and Caesar was not. And it shaped and oriented this really radical way of living. And so Jesus then says, because you've seen me, you have believed. And blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are those in Granville and Grand Rapids and beyond who've not seen and yet believe, who faithfully come week in and week out proclaiming that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is King and Lord, and reorienting your lives in such a way that thy kingdom would come in Grand Rapids and Granville as it is in heaven. Blessed are those who have not seen and believe. And soon these resurrection encounters that we read about would be rare, but Jesus, never stops abundantly offering us himself. Here's what I hope we receive today. This revelation of God in Christ is available to us, to you, to me, to the world today. Our God is not a God that withholds, but our God is a God that gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. The revelation of God in Christ is available to us today because Jesus, the King, is among us and continues to give of himself over and over and over again. To the doubting, Jesus gives himself. To those who just received a devastating diagnosis, Jesus gives himself. To those who feel invisible, lost, aching, and lonely without a place to belong, Jesus gives himself. 
to the hurting and to the anxious and to the confused and to the stressed out and maxed out, Jesus gives himself. And the invitation as he gives us himself is to look, to see, to lean in, to confess, my Lord, my God, and that it would change the trajectory of the rest of our lives because Jesus is Lord and calls us to live under his Lordship. And I recognize that there are so many of us here this morning that are at different places in this faith life and sometimes it feels so overwhelming. We look at others, the spiritual giants is what we often call them. I'm sure you have the church mothers and the church fathers here that we could tell stories about those who have impacted lives and sometimes we look at our own life and think, how could I ever be like that? When I was 16 years old, I was a very passionate swimmer. And I had the opportunity to travel to New Mexico to something called the Gold Medal Olympic Swim Camp, which was led and coached by a former Olympian by the name of Tom Jager. At one time, Tom Jager was one of the fastest swimmers in the world. He was called the bullet. He was so fast. You see, before Michael Phelps, it was all about Tom Jager. And when I got to the swim camp, I realized that I had no place there. I maybe in my small town and south suburbs of Chicago was a good swimmer, but there I came in last over and over again. And at the end of the trip, we did this hike up a mountain. I had never in my entire life climbed a mountain. I also had never in my entire life been at such a high altitude that it was impacting my breathing. My lungs were having great difficulty adjusting. And so there I was with about 100 swimmers, and every once in a while I would have to stop and catch my breath, and I would start to hyperventilate. And eventually they just began to pass me up, and I fell at the very end of the line, and I thought, what gives? I can't do this. And I doubted my own capacity and abilities. And I sat there on a rock, and I put my hands on my face, and I just started to weep. And shame began to have its way over my heart and mind. You don't belong. You're not like them. You're not worthy. Just give up. Walk away. This mountain is too big to climb. And as I sat there in my unbelief, six foot three, gold medalist Tom Jager makes his way down the trail and I could hear his footsteps and I looked up and he looked huge sitting from the rock. And as he looked over me, I thought for sure he was going to shame me. I thought for sure he was going to say, you know what, why don't you just go down the mountain and give up. But instead, he bends down and he gets eye level with me right there at my level. I believe in you. We're gonna do this together. And he pulled me up from the rock 
and he took me by the arm. And that day, what he gave me was the gift of his presence, was the gift of himself that emboldened me and empowered me and moved me from a place of shame and unbelief to a place of belief and courage. I don't know where you are today. Perhaps some of you, you're at the front of the line leading the pack. Perhaps some of you, however, you find yourself sitting on that rock, thinking this call of the Christian life is just too big. How could I ever? And we sometimes get this idea that Jesus is on this mountaintop calling, come up if you can. Let me know how it goes. I'll be up here and I'll see you someday. But that's not the case. The good news of the gospel, because this tomb is indeed empty, because of the faithfulness of King Jesus with his life, his teaching, his resurrection, his ascension, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus doesn't stand on a high mountain calling us to make our way up. But instead, he enters into our reality He moved into the neighborhood. He gets in proximity with us. And he comes down to our level. He says, I'm here. I'm giving you the gift of myself. Let me walk with you in this journey of anxiety or defeat or lost or doubting and let me help you and walk with you and empower and embolden and propel and impel you to this place of flourishing and blessing. Today, that king is here among us, present with Will you receive that gift today? Let us pray. We believe, help our unbelief. We're anxious, we want to be free from anxiety. We're hurting and we want to be healed. We're broken and we want to be whole. We're lost and we want to be found. We're empty and want to be filled. So God, we open ourselves up to the gift that you so freely give us. And we receive today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And now what an incredible gift that we have to receive the body and the blood at the table.